0: Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc online.org. Now, here's Pastor Sean. This passage of Scripture, I think, in the Gospel of Luke. It is the parable of the good Samaritan. I mean, not the good Samaritan, the parable of the prodigal son. Sean, what are you preaching this morning? You're preaching the prodigal son, not the good Samaritan. But it's actually three stories, three parables that all tell the same theme. So let's just dive right in. Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this is the setup to before Jesus tells these three parables, and it's important for us to know why. Why does Jesus tell these three parables? If you notice, verse 1, the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to Jesus. It's very important to understand from the very beginning that Jesus attracted sinners. Those that are broken, those that are hopeless, were drawn to Jesus. Jesus took time to receive those that were sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus receives sinners. He doesn't turn them away. People with issues, people with sin, people with problems, he receives them. And it's interesting, that word in the original language, receives, means that Jesus welcomes them gladly. He receives them gladly. He he accepts them as friends. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that, that were superior, they did not like the fact that Jesus was hanging around with sinners, that Jesus was receiving sinners, that Jesus was eating with sinners, that he was spending his time with people who had sin in their life. And so, this is the setup for Jesus to tell these three parables that all really have the main point. What's the main point of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son? Here's the point God loves to receive sinners who genuinely repent. God loves to receive sinners who genuinely repent. So for this morning, I want to ask three questions of this passage of Scripture. Three basic questions, but this passage of Scripture answers it so profoundly. What are these three questions that we're going to look at this morning? I'll tell you where we're going. First question is, what does it mean to be a sinner? Second question is, what does it mean to be a repenter? What does it mean to repent? And third question is, how does God respond to sinners who do, in fact, repent? Now, These three parables are all related and they tell the same story. Something is lost, something is found, and then there's a party. There's a celebration. Something's lost, something's found, then there's a huge celebration. So what I want us to do, I know it's, it's a long chapter, but I think we need to read all three of these parables as one unit. Sometimes we read the prodigal son as a standalone, but really Jesus tells these three as a unit of thought. It's really three parables wrapped up into one. So let's read all of these together about something being lost, something being found, and then a, a huge celebration. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents." Okay, so we've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, now we've got the lost son. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And he said to him, "'Your brother has come, "'and your father's killed the fattened calf "'because he's received him back safe and sound.' And he was angry and refused to go to his father. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, "'Look, these many years I've served you, "'and I've never disobeyed your command, "'yet you never gave me a young goat "'that I might celebrate with my friends. "'But when this son of yours came,' who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all this mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Something goes missing, it's lost. Something's found. There's a huge celebration. So let's ask the three questions. Here's the first question. What does it mean to be a sinner? What does it mean to be a sinner? There's a key word that shows up in all three of these stories, and it's the word lost. The sheep was lost. The coin was lost. The son who spits in his father's face and goes off and lives among prostitutes and reckless living, it says that he was lost. And now was found. So it's very interesting when you think about what it means to be a sinner. One of the words that we need to use is the word lost. Lost. Now, that may sound weird to you because you may not feel like you're lost. I know exactly where I'm going in life. I've got my life planned out. I've got my life mapped out. I've got my direction. I know where I'm going. I don't need directions. I'm not lost. Thank you very much. God I've got it under control. But I want to draw your attention to the word that Jesus uses for lost. It's a very important Greek word, apollymi. It means to perish. It means to spend eternity in hell. It means to be under God's wrath and judgment. Jesus specifically uses the word lost in all three of these parables. He uses that specific Greek word to show the gravity of what it means to be separated from God. So when we speak about a non-saved person being lost, it doesn't mean they just kind of lost their way spiritually. It really means that they are under God's judgment. So every person is born lost, which means we are guilty before a holy god we are under his wrath we are under his judgment john 3:17 through 19 for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're already condemned. You're already guilty. John 3 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. God's wrath remains on you. So being lost means to be under God's wrath, to be guilty, to spend eternity in hell. But there's another interesting statement used in here of the Son. Look at verse 24. The Father says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. And then again in verse 32, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. Now let's ask the question. Anywhere in the story did the son die? No. So it's not talking about physical death here. It's talking about spiritual death. So what does it mean to be a sinner? Not only does it mean to be that you're lost, but it also means that you're born spiritually dead and separated from a holy God. You're spiritually dead. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So it's part of your nature. Every single person is born spiritually dead, spiritually lost. It's a condition from birth that we are born with going all the way back to Adam's sin in the garden. And because we're born in this condition, we're enslaved in this condition, we are in bondage in this condition, we cannot escape it. It's part of our nature, and that nature, that sin nature, causes us to actually commit individual sins. So we are spiritually lost, we're spiritually dead, but every person also wants to go their own way and rebels against a holy God. It's not only a condition of being lost, being spiritually dead, but that condition causes your heart to want to go its own way. To say, I want to go my own way, and I'm going to rebel against God. And that's exactly what the son does in the story. He's asking for the inheritance before the father's dead. That's the ultimate in disrespect to the father. It's basically saying to the dad, I want you dead so that I can receive my inheritance. And surprisingly, the father gives him the inheritance. And the son says, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to rebel against your authority, dad, and I'm going to go off to a far country and I'm going to live how I want to live because I'm in charge of my life. He spits in his dad's face. He says, I don't want any accountability. I'm going to rebel. So sin is rebelling against the authority of God and His Word. And so being a sinner means that we're, we're under God's wrath, we're lost, we're rebels, we're enslaved. Paul sums it up in Romans 3, 10-12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's the condition of every single person without Jesus. And what's the payout at the end of your life? If you continue in this sin, what's the payment that you get at the end of your life? In other words, what's the wage that's due to you because of a life of sin? Well, Paul says in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think about the Son here. Look at the end look at verse 16. He's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. He squandered everything. Think about this young man. He's fatherless. He's homeless. He's penniless and he's friendless. He has no dad. He has no home. He has no money. And once his money ran out, all of his wild friends abandoned him. He's all alone, without hope. That's really a picture of hell when you think about it. You're all alone. You have no friends. You're totally destitute. You're spiritually bankrupt. You are hopeless, helpless, and hell-bound. It's a picture there. Now, some of you at this moment point may be thinking to yourself I'm sure glad Pastor Sean's not talking about me because I'm not the prodigal son I didn't spit in my dad's face I don't go hang out with prostitutes well I'm glad I don't, um, I'm not an axe murderer I, I haven't done all these weird rebellious things I'm a good, upright decent, moral citizen I'm righteous, I'm moral, I'm a churchgoer. I'm definitely not the prodigal son that's not me Those are those wild and crazy sinners, but that's not me. Okay, there's two sons in this story. The other son was just as much of a sinner as the younger son. You know, sin is not just outrageous, flagrant, prostitute-living wackiness. You can also sin with an attitude of religious superiority and moralism and legalism. What does the older brother do when he finds out that the dad's throwing a party for the younger son? He gets in his dad's face and chews him out. What are you doing, dad? This, this son of yours comes back from prostitutes and you're throwing a party? He doesn't deserve a party. I've been the good kid. I, I've kept my nose clean and you've never thrown a party for me. I'm, I'm, I'm the good one. Why don't you do that for me? He's, he's touting his resume in front of the father. And here's the sad thing about this story. Oftentimes we focus so much on the prodigal son and his flagrant sin that we fail to see that the older son has just as much sin as the younger sin. Whether it's flagrant, living with prostitutes, outrageous sin, or religious superiority and moralism, both of those are sins in God's eyes. Both of those deserve God's wrath. We don't often think about that. Someone who's lost, someone who's dead, Someone who rebels against God can be very, very moral and very, very churchy and very, very religious and still not be saved. Sin's a matter of the heart in addition to actions that we commit. And ultimately, who are we sinning against? Do you notice what the young man says? I've sinned against heaven and you, Father. Sin is ultimately sinning against God as our sovereign. In all three stories, you have an owner or a master. In the story of the sheep, who owned the sheep? The shepherd. In the story of the coin, who owned the coin? The woman. In the story of the two sons who gave birth? Their mom, but ultimately their dad was the one who was sovereign over them. And so in all three stories, God is represented as having authority and ownership because he's our creator. Now, if this is all we talked about in the story, it would be pretty sad this morning. But the point is is that what does it mean to be a sinner? It means to be lost, to be under God's wrath, to be a rebel, to be deserving of hell, to perish. Okay, let's ask the second question. What is genuine Repentance, Because if, if lost is a key word in these three parables, repentance is another key word. Because what happens in, at the end of the parable of the shepherd and the sheep, the parable of the lost coin, you see there at the end of verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous per- persons who need no repentance. You see it again in verse 10. Just so I tell you there's joy before the angels over, of God over one sinner who repents. What does it mean to repent? Does it merely mean to feel sorry for your sins? Does it mean to feel bad that you got caught? What's repentance? Here's the best way I can describe repentance. It's a grace of God in your life where he makes you acutely aware of your sin. He confronts you with your rebellion, with your sin, with your depravity. God changes your mind changes your heart to see who he is and who you are and you have a mind change about everything and that leads to sorrow that leads to sadness and that leads to turning from that sin and turning toward Jesus in faith and you see it illustrated in this young man look at verse 17 after he wasted everything after he squandered Everything in reckless living after he was, at, he was at the lowest of low, he was at the bottom of the bottom, he was hopeless, he was helpless, he was fatherless. Look at verse 17. When he came to himself. Some translations say when he came to his senses. He had a change of mind, didn't he? He sat down He's like, I, I'm aware of what I've done now. I've got this overwhelming sense of my Poverty. He came to a census. And what does he do? How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. That word perish is the same word for lost. It's that Greek word "apollymi." I'm lost here. I'm spiritually lost. Like, I'm, I'm literally lost here because I don't have any food, but metaphorically, I am spiritually lost. Verse 18, I will arise... And I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Notice how he left everything in that country. He didn't come back to his dad with two girls on his arms, saying, Dad, look what I brought home. It wasn't half hearted, it was remorseful, it was sad. It wasn't some type of moral reform. He came back, and he acknowledges his sin. And he confesses his sin. And he knows he sinned against the God the Father and against his earthly father. In other words, he understands that he was spiritually dead, he was lost, he was rebellious, he was hopeless. And then he's willing to accept whatever the consequences are. Notice what he says there in verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. Here's the the reality of what would have happened back in that culture. That son pretty much said to his dad, you're dead to me. And the dad had every right possibly to kill the son if he wanted to. But the best thing that probably could have happened to the son is he could come back into the household as a slave, as a servant. And the son knows that. It's like, I can't come back. I, I definitely can't go back and be his son I, I, I burned that bridge. I can't be a son. The best thing I can do is go back and make things right with Dad and say, Dad, I'm sorry. I ask your forgiveness. At least let me be a servant in your house because I know I deserve that. I'm not asking for a party. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not asking for money. I just I, I know I'm sinned and I'm going to come back and all I'm going to say is, is, Father, just please treat me, treat me as a servant. And he goes back and he makes the decisive decision to leave and go home. So let me tell you what repentance is not. Because there's a lot of confusion over what is repentance. Maybe it's helpful to tell you what it's not. Repentance is not a sense of shame for disappointing a family member. Repentance is not fear of getting caught or fear of having to go through the punishment. Repentance is not going to a priest and doing a few Hail Marys to somehow find absolution from another human being. Repentance is not a yearly attempt at self reform like a New Year's resolution. It's not just feeling sorry for your sins. What is repentance? Think of it this way in three different aspects it's a sovereign work of grace in your heart where God changes your mind, God changes your heart, and God changes your will. Your mind's been changed, your heart's been changed. And your will's been changed so that you actually do repent. You turn from your sin and you turn toward Christ. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit in you. Acts three nineteen through 20 says this, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. What awaits you when you repent? Times of refreshing from the Lord. Forgiveness. Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So we've seen two things in this passage of Scripture so far. What does it mean to be a sinner? What does it mean to repent? But here's the most important thing, the third issue. How does God respond to sinners who repent? The answer... Heaven throws a party. Heaven throws a party. Now I want you to see the beauty of God the Father in the story and the earthly father. God is the one who pursues us. God's the one that seeks us out. Okay, in the story of the lost sheep, what does the shepherd do? He makes a diligent search. He cares about that one sheep. He goes out and seeks that sheep. He takes the initiative to go find the sheep. Okay, in the story of the lost coin, what does the the woman do? In verse 8, she sweeps the house. She searches diligently. She looks feverishly for the coin. So the shepherd's looking for the sheep. The woman's looking for the coin. But what does the father do when the son comes back? I want to show you something that you would probably find shocking if you were first hearing this from Jesus in the original culture. Look at verse 20. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed his son. Okay, no Self respecting father who had been dissed, if you will, by his son would run. You wouldn't run. The father runs out to meet the son. He runs to him, and not only does he run to him, but he embraces him and he kisses him, the son who had rebelled. What happens when the sheep is found? What happens when the shepherd finds the sheep? Verse 6, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I found my sheep. Let's let's throw a party, I found my sheep. He calls his neighbors over, let's throw a party, I found the sheep. What happens when the lady finds the coin? Same thing. She calls her friends and families together, "Let's let's throw a party, I found my coin. When the lost son comes back, what does the father do? Let's throw a party. Verse 20. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. It's a strong word in the original language. It literally means that the father's guts just literally spilled out for his son. Deep emotion runs to him. And then the very last thing I've I've, I've told you in parables, what's usually said last is the most important So the last three phrases, so in verse 7, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's how the first parable ends. The second parable, verse 10, just so I tell you there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then listen to how the last parable ends in verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. It was appropriate to throw a party. Think about how amazing the response is from this father. He doesn't disown his son. He doesn't condemn the son. He doesn't lecture the son. He doesn't send the son out to be a servant in the surgeon's quarters. He doesn't beat him. He responds with tenderness and joy and compassion and love. Notice how the tender shepherd responded when he found the sheep. Verse 5, when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders, rejoicing. God, the fathers often portrayed in the Old Testament as a shepherd carrying Israel. In Isaiah 40, 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. Amazing love. For a sinner that repents. So, this is an amazing good news for all of us here this morning. If you've come to that point in your life where you've had a change of mind, where you've realized that you're a rebel, that you're dead, that you're a wretch, that you're spiritually enslaved and in bondage to sin, and that you can't get yourself out of this helpless condition, and you've come to your senses and you realize, I need to repent. I need to go back to my father. I need to go home. Guess what you find? You find the father's arms wide open, ready to receive you with joy. But there's one thing we need to remember about this story. Who's telling it? Jesus. We can't always we can't lose the forest for the trees. Yes, Jesus tells a parable, but Who is Jesus? What was Jesus' purpose in Luke 19.10? For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So what was the mission of Jesus? All this forgiveness that you get from the Father when heaven throws a party and all this repentance and joy, the only way that's possible is because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross suffered in our place, shed His blood, taking our punishment so that we could be forgiven, we could be rescued, and then He rose again. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. The resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. 1 Corinthians 15, 13-14 If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith's in vain. Have you ever thought about that? We have a useless faith if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Why are we here? And even more so, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. You're still spiritually dead if Jesus had not risen from the dead. How does this whole parable start? What's the beauty of this parable? Why did Jesus tell these parables? We'll go back up and look at verses 1 and 2. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They were drawing near to Jesus. You see, when you draw near to Jesus, when you own up to your sin and when you repent of your sin and you draw near to Jesus, you find that He receives you. He welcomes you. He loves you. He accepts you. Heaven throws a party when you come to Jesus. So, there may be some of you here today that need to acknowledge that you are, in fact, a sinner. You stand guilty before a holy God. You're dead in your sins. You've gone your own way. You're rebellious. And you've got to just come to that point through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction to your life that I am a desperate sinner in need of salvation. And then you've got to repent. You've got to turn from that sin. You've got to be sorry for that sin. You've got to to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. You've got to to believe in Jesus and place all of your faith in Him and and give up trying and trusting in yourself and all these things that you're doing and give your life to Christ. And what you will find is when you understand that you're a sinner and you repent of that sin, Jesus receives you. When you draw near to Jesus, He receives receives you and so jesus stands ready willing and able ready willing and able to receive anybody here today that draws near to him in repentance and faith so what i'd like us to do is to go ahead and bow our heads this morning And only you know if you're truly a sinner that's lost. And only you know if you've actually repented. And if you've done those things, if you've acknowledged you're a sinner and you've repented and believed in Jesus, you have received the joy of heaven throwing a party because Jesus has received you. So will we spend this time to draw near to our Savior, to draw near. Sometimes when we sin, we want to run away and not draw near. We often think that the Father is stern and rigid and is going to thump us. And yes, the Father is holy. But when we come back to Him in repentance, He receives us through the blood of Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're running from the Father in fear. Would I encourage you to run toward the Father in faith? To know that Jesus stands ready to receive you, to forgive you, to change you, to welcome you. Would you spend just a few moments in prayer going before Jesus this morning? He's saying, Early, our sins are many, but your mercy's more. Help us to remember that. Our sins may be many, but your mercy's more. We are grave sinners, but you're a wonderful Savior. And we want to run to you in faith. And we know that you receive us with arms open wide, with love and compassion, with forgiveness. And I can't even begin to conceive what it really means that heaven throws a party when one sinner repents. My prayer, Lord, this morning is that heaven would be having a major celebration because there are those in this room who have repented and come to faith in Christ. We need you, Lord Jesus. We love you. You are our great shepherd. Thank you that you found us when we were lost. You made us alive when we were dead. And we await the final wedding supper of the Lamb in heaven, which will be the ultimate celebration of joy. We look forward to that day, Jesus. Until then, help us to be ongoing repenters. Help us to always be repenting of our sin. And thank you for the grace to show us our need for you day by day, minute by minute, second by second. We need you, Lord Jesus, and we love you. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.